Well, good morning. I'm Stephen. I'm the pastor. I want to invite you to either, if you have a Bible or on your phone, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 5. You can also look in your bulletin. The verses we're going to look at are there. There's a place to take notes. We are finishing a series today called Heaven is Here. This is what we're learning in the Bible. Um, And we experience this heaven is here when we see the good that's in the world, uh, the beauty uh, that exists in the world, and even the beauty and the people around us. Uh, The 2020 event last night was a wonderful example of people who are made in the image of God and how they reflect some of his beauty. Um, But in the midst of the beauty, life is also broken. Uh, And sometimes it's the center of our lives that's broken. Sometimes it's really just the fringes of life where we're experiencing brokenness kind of on the graphic here, um, just the fringes. But when we are in the midst of brokenness, we can feel far from God. We can feel like heaven is radically distant from us. And when things are broken, the Bible tells us to hope. To hope. It says there's power in hoping for God's future, in looking forward to what God is going to do. Um, The Bible promises that in the future, God is going to fix everything and make all things right. And the question that we have is, how do we know for sure? Right. The problem with hope in the future is that there's a little bit of a fear of being put to shame because what if our hope doesn't come true? One great illustration of this is from the great pumpkin, Charlie Brown. And I'm going to show this to you so that you can know that this church understands what it's like for you to live and to hope and to not be certain. So there it is, right? I mean, maybe in a, in a different context, but I mean, this is the problem, isn't it? Like when we say, oh, no, no, you just got to hope in the future, you got to hope in the future, you got to hope in the future. What if we're wrong? I mean, we're not just talking about, um, I mean, not just funny things, but disappointment abounds in life. Um, when disappointments happen in relationships where that person that you hoped was going to be a certain way turns out that they're not that way. Um, you're disappointed, right, with work. You put all your eggs in the basket of work and, and trying to achieve success at work only to find that it doesn't deliver. And when it doesn't, we're put to shame. And so the question is, how can we know that our hope will come true? All right, I want to read the first four verses of Romans 5. These are verses that we've looked at already. I want to just remind ourselves of the way the Bible has been telling us that we're supposed to hope. And so the verses are in the bulletin. They'll be up on the screen. This is Romans 5, 1 to 4. It says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ 
Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And so we're called to hope even when we're suffering because we're looking to that future when God will fix everything. And so hope is big. Hoping in the future is important because there's so much suffering in the present. But is this hope sure? The Bible says yes. Look at verse 5. It says, And hope does not put us to shame. Hope does not put us to shame. And so this is the Bible speaking, and the Bible is saying, you won't be ashamed for hoping in God's future. You can put all of your eggs into this basket of hope. Verse 2 says that God is going to make everything new in the future. The glory of God is his perfected future. Um, And those who follow Jesus will be vindicated In the end, everyone will see that you were right to follow Jesus. And so through all of the suffering in this life, you can hope. And in the the next life, you will not be sorry. You won't be sorry for hoping. So think about roulette, right? And the roulette wheel, you know, you got to bet in roulette. What this is saying is you can take all of your chips Okay, all of your chips, and you can put them on the square of God's glory. Okay, if you do that, you will win. Okay, and and I want you to think about this. Um, If you knew you were going to win, right? If you knew you were going to win, I mean, okay, I know that you never know that you're going to win, but if you knew what was going to happen, right? If you knew that you were going to win, which is still awkward because even just saying that, I feel like a salesperson, right? Selling something like, and you're like, no, come on, it's not, but no, no, no. Just if you knew, if you could predict the future and you knew you were going to win, would you bet five bucks? Or would you put your whole life savings onto that number? And what I like about the Bible, one of the things I like about the Bible is that it knows that by asking you to hope, it's asking you to trust something with your life that you can't see. And yet God is saying you can do this without fear. Your hope will not be put to shame. But we still haven't answered the question, how can you know for sure? Right? How can you know for sure that this hope will not put us to shame? Well, the rest of verse 5 gives us the answer. Okay, it says, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So God's love has been poured into our hearts. So this is why we can be sure that our hope will not put us to shame because we have now the love of God. We now have the love of the God who promises the future that we're hoping in. So the same God that's promised this future is the same God who is loving us today. 
The God who promises to renew everything has already begun to love us and is loving you today. And so if he loves us today, then we can be sure that our hope in him will come true. So you can be sure of the future because God surely loves you now. Okay, future hope is sure because God's love is present. Okay, if you want to write it down, this you can, you can write it down this way. God's love in your present guarantees your hope in his future. Okay? God's love in your present guarantees your hope in his future. So your present experience of the love of God is a guarantee that God's promises for the future are going to come true. We can say it this way. If you know God loves you now, you can be sure that he's going to love you in the future. Now, for some of you, when I read this verse, that God's love has been poured into your heart through the Holy Spirit, you immediately know what I'm talking about. You immediately know what that feels like. You know that God is with you. You know that God loves you. You have this experience of the love of God. And so, to you I say, that experience is proof that Jesus is coming back and you will be vindicated. Your present experience of Jesus, your present experience of the love of God is proof of all that God's promised is going to come true. And so this is saying to us, your experience of God's love is a guarantee that you won't be put to shame. You will not be like Linus in the pumpkin patch. Okay? Um, Now, for others of us, not all of us feel 100% confident that we're loved by God, right? Let's just be honest. Some of us are like, yep, I know the love of God. I've experienced it. Some people would even quote another Bible verse that says, God's spirit testifies to my spirit that I'm a child of God. But then for others of us, that experience of God isn't always there, right? Or maybe it's never been there. Maybe it was there before and it hasn't been there for a while. Um, And so we see this verse in the Bible and we can say, all right, I can see that the Bible says this, but I'm not sure if it's talking about me. And so if you're there, let's... Let's unpack this and talk about what this means so that we can all figure out my hope and goal, my hope, (laughs) my hope is in the glory of God, right? That I can be sure of. I have another hope today that's not so sure. My hope today is that every one of you will leave here knowing for sure that God loves you now so you can hope in the future, okay? My hope is that you'll have that. Um, And so let's talk about this verse It says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And so the Holy Spirit is how God comes closest to us. Jesus even said, when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be better than when he was walking the earth. So many people say, oh man, if only we could have been around the time when Jesus was around. Jesus says, actually, there's a better time coming. And that better time is actually after I leave when the Holy Spirit comes. And Jesus said this, he said, I am with you, but the Holy Spirit will be in you. And so you've got me face to face, you get to talk to me, you get to walk with me, you get to live with me, but something better is coming. The Holy Spirit is how God connects to us 
personally. The Holy Spirit is God. He is a manifestation of God. And yet, as a spirit, he's present with us. He's always with us. He strengthens us. He comforts us. He teaches us. He encourages us. He reminds us of things. He convicts us. He empowers us. Um, The Holy Spirit lives within Christians so that we're never alone, so that we are never without God and all that God is. This is powerful and personal love from God. And if you have this love in the present, it guarantees your hope in God's future. Now, God's present love for you through the Holy Spirit is actually the beginning of his future renewal of all things. So we talk about this promised future, right? Well, the Holy Spirit is actually the link here between the present and the future. I'm going to show you a couple of verses. Philippians 1.6 says this, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. So we have here, I'm sure of this, same author, the same person who wrote Romans said this, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you, the God who started the work is not going to stop until the work is completed. So if God loves you today, you can be sure that God is going to continue to love you until his work is finished at the day Jesus comes back. And then Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says this, in him, this is Jesus, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, so you, when you put your faith in Jesus, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. So you see what this says. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee, your present guarantee of the future inheritance. What's our inheritance as Christians? Our inheritance is, Romans 4 told us this, that the promise to Abraham and to his seed, that he would be heir of the world, was through faith. And so God has made this promise to us that he is going to renew all things, that we are going to inherit a completely renewed and renovated heaven and earth, where heaven and earth come together where we have a perfect relationship with God, a perfect relationship with each other, a perfect relationship with the earth and with ourselves. We're finally going to be comfortable in our own skin. I long for that day. Um, this is the promise. That, that, that's the promise inheritance that God has in store for us. Romans 5 says this is the day of the glory of God at the end of verse 2. That's what we're hoping for. And the Holy Spirit is the beginning of this inheritance. Um, The word guarantee there, sometimes people talk about it as like a down payment. Like God makes all these promises and then he gives you a taste. He gives you the beginning of it. So Bill McCurin likes to say that uh, when his grandmother used to make um, her lemon icebox pies, like her lemon pies, um, that when she was done mixing up the batter to like pour into the thing to, before it was supposed to go uh, to be cooked, when she was done mixing up the batter, she would hand him the spoon. 
and boy, he loved that spoon. We love it so much, we don't even cook the stuff after. You know, we just eat the batter. That's all we do. Um, but like, the Holy Spirit is like that batter that's in anticipation of. It's, it's, it's everything that we're waiting for, not, but not the fullness of it. Right? That's what the Holy Spirit is. That's what this verse says. The Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And so the Holy Spirit is the beginning of this inheritance. Now, the Holy Spirit doesn't just bring us and God together. Okay? The Holy Spirit also brings heaven and earth together. So it's us and God, but it's also heaven and earth. Okay, and there's an author that I am heavily indebted to. Um, his name is Gerhardus Voss, V-O-S. He wrote an article, um, and I, I'm bringing this up, I'm telling you this because of what he says is so powerful, but it's incredibly dense, thick, and theologically confusing. Just the title is going to like make you go to sleep. Listen to this. Here's the title of the article. The Eschatological Aspect of the Pauline Conception of the Spirit. Eh. Amazing article. It's like 40 pages long. It's really long. It's really dense. really hard to understand. If you want it, email me. I'll send it to you. Um, And then when you beg for mercy, I'll send you the shortened version of the article that I've created where I cut out all the other stuff and highlighted the stuff that's, you know, I brought it down to like four or five pages. Um, but so what I'm about to say is heavily leaning on what he has said because his understanding here has revolutionized my understanding of salvation, under, has revolutionized my understanding of the Holy Spirit and how this world relates to the world to come, okay? So here's just some of what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, brings a new world. And he says, the Christian life belongs to and participates in the domain of the Spirit. So there's a domain of the Spirit, right? This is kind of hinted at when uh, in verse 2 when Paul says we've obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, right? So we have this domain of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings a new world, a new way of thinking, a renewed mind, a new way of seeing God, a new way of seeing the world, The Holy Spirit brings a heavenly citizenship. This is the domain of the Spirit. And the coming of the Holy Spirit has brought the future here. The Holy Spirit coming and filling our hearts means it's not two successive worlds. It's not this world and then the world to come. It's not two worlds one after the other. It's two coexisting worlds. So much and so often we think, and sometimes we read parts of the Bible that say like, it's this way now, but what's coming is going to be this. And what we find when the Holy Spirit comes is the Holy Spirit brings this world into our world so that these two worlds overlap. They coexist. And so if you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit poured out into your heart, the experience of the love of God is actually God bringing this world in to the world that we live in, bringing the world to come into this world so that we live in both worlds at the same time. This is why we struggle. I mean, this is why, just to anticipate, this is why Romans 7 exists because part of us actually lives up here and part of us lives down here. 
So if you ever wonder how, why is it that as a Christian I love God with all my heart and yet I find myself doing stuff that I really wish I wouldn't do. I wish it wasn't part of me. I wish I didn't think this way. I wish I didn't feel this way. I wish I didn't do these things. Well, it's because these two worlds now coexist. These two worlds coexist. And so what does this mean? This means heaven is here, but not in its fullness. But the Holy Spirit brings heaven here. It's the beginning. It's the beginning, and we get to be part of it. I mean, that's the amazing news. And so what God has begun in us, he will complete with the entire world. And so God's love in your present guarantees your hope in his future because your experience of the love of God is actually experiencing the world to come now. And if the world to come has begun now, it's guaranteed. It's guaranteed that this world exists and that God is going to bring more and more and more and more and more of it. Man, that's exciting. So, what does it look like then to have this love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit? Right? Because some of you are like, yeah, I'm good, I got it, this is awesome, I know God's love, I walk with God's love, I have God's love. Others of us are like, I'm still not sure. So, we could ask a question like this, how can you know if God loves you? How can you know if God loves you, right? Well, this is what's cool, is that the Bible says that the assurance of this comes to us in different ways because we are different people. And so the Bible doesn't speak with one voice all the time. God doesn't communicate to us in the exact same way all the time because he knows that we are different. We're wired differently. We are different kinds of people. And so he gives us the assurance of his love. He tells us how to know if God loves us in different ways. So I'm going to give you three different ways that you can know if God loves you, okay? And you are free to take one of these and run with it. You're also free to try to opt into all three of them because you want the full experience. Um, Some of you are going to be like, no, I'm good with one. This one totally resonates with me. And others of you are like, no, actually, I think I kind of have a sense of more than one of these. And so, again, my hope is that you will identify with at least one of these um, and receive assurance that you, if you're trusting in Jesus right now, that you have God's love and are sure about the future. Okay? And so the first way that you can know God loves you is with things that you know. Things that you know. Let's talk about this. For some of you, just knowing that God did something apart from you that changes how he thinks about you and how he feels about you is enough. For some of you, you see what Jesus did. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. He lived a perfect life and then he suffered for our sins. And when you see that, you know that that means God loves you and he's on your side. So you say, someone says, how do you know God loves you? And you would say, well, because Jesus died for me and he rose again so that I would know he didn't die for his own sins, but he died for mine. I separated myself from God. I was guilty of different kinds of sin. 
And it was on God whether or not he wanted to forgive me or not. And so he chose to take my punishment on himself. And in Jesus, he suffered and died for me. And he rose again. So I know God loves me. For some of you, that's all you need. For some of you, knowing that gives you assurance. And because you know that that is God's love, you're good now and in the future. This passage itself teaches us that because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, you have been forgiven. Verse 1, we've been justified by faith. It says you have peace with God. You have access to God anytime, anywhere. And you have hope because of what Jesus did. And so knowing this, remembering this is enough. And if remembering these things, if knowing this is what Jesus did for you, gives you a sense of assurance of God's love, that is the Holy Spirit. That's God's Spirit telling you that you belong to Him and that He belongs to you. And so for some of us, that's all we need. And God's love in you, in your present, guarantees your hope in the future. Okay, but it doesn't stop there because not all of us are, I would say content might not be the right word, not all of us are reached by simply knowing that 2,000 years ago God did something apart from us that changed how he feels about us, okay? And so it's not just things that you know, but it's also things that you experience. Things that you experience can remind you of and and can, can give you assurance that you have God's spirit. Okay, what do I mean by this? Well, some of you are very relational. Some of you are very experience-oriented. And the moment that you believed in Jesus, you had the sense that God loved you. Um, For some people, um, some people know that God loves them before they ever even hear that the Bible says God loves them. Right? For some of us, the, uh, the reality is that as we experience, as we confess our sins, we have the sense that like God draws near to us, that God cares for us. We have a sense of God's peace that like he's with us and that life is good and that we're okay and God's okay with us. And right, I mean, we just have this sense of the presence of God with us. And um, so this is, these are experiences that we have where the Holy Spirit is literally saying to us, he's literally filling us with the love of God. And so if you've had an experience like that, that is the Spirit pouring God's love into your heart. Okay? This also manifests itself in another way. There's another way you, you can experience God's love. Um, and that's when, th- track with me here, that's when you see Jesus in the Bible and you know that Jesus loves you the same way he loved the people that he's interacting with. You follow that? So you read the Bible, and as you read the Bible, you have this sense that he loves you the same way he loves the people in the Bible. Like you're moved by what he did because he cares about you that same way. So just a couple examples. Like in John 11, Jesus' friend Lazarus dies. And Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, Lazarus is in the tomb, and Lazarus' sister and, her, and his friend are there, and they are overcome. They're, 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 they're in deep grief and mourning. And one of the ladies is pissed at Jesus. She is angry 
with him. She's like, you, if you were here, you could have healed him. He didn't have to die. And Jesus is there knowing that he's going to heal him. But before he heals him, do you know what Jesus does? He breaks down in anguish. Jesus is overcome with emotion. In the shortest verse of the Bible, we get this amazing picture of what Jesus is like in John 11. It just says Jesus, it says he wept. That's the verse, he wept. And so what we see is that Jesus is so moved by the death of his friend. He is so moved by the grief of his friend's sister and her friend that he enters into that grief and he weeps with us in our suffering. And the people who watched Jesus overcome with grief, their response was, do you see how he loves? And so when you read a story like that, there are times when some of us read a story like that and they think, man, in my grief, Jesus is weeping with me. In my sorrow, Jesus, I mean, he's even there to raise Lazarus from the dead. And it's almost as though he wants to make sure that these two ladies know that he cares so much, he cares so much for them that he's willing to enter into their grief and show them that he sees their grief and cares for them in their grief even before he fixes what's wrong. Man. And so, I mean, I remember years ago, like probably like 15 or maybe 20 years ago, I was going through this really dry time. I was far away from God. I didn't feel like my prayers were doing anything. I would read the Bible and nothing. I just didn't feel like God was anywhere near me. Um, and the Holy Spirit showed me God's love through this passage. I was reading a sermon about this passage. And in the sermon, it said, Jesus doesn't love you any less today than on the day that you first believed. And I read that sentence. And I was like, wait, hold on. I, I went back, I read it again. And I thought, yeah, I remember those days. Like, I remember those days when I first believed. Like, life was great. God was near. God was present. I could feel his presence. And then I looked at the sentence again, and Jesus doesn't love me any less today than he did when I felt how close he was. And in that moment, I realized that he hadn't moved, but I had. And he was still with me. Friends, that's the love of God expressed in the Holy Spirit. Um, and it's amazing because I didn't go back to that previous experience of closeness with God, what happened was I moved forward into a more mature integration of his love for me in the past with my more complicated present. And that's what happens. When we connect the love of God in new ways, in new experiences, we don't necessarily go back to the way it was. We go forward into something new, something better, something more mature, something sometimes more complicated because our life is more complicated 
But Jesus loves us in the midst of that. And so this is God loving us um, and, and filling us with his love through the Holy Spirit who is telling us that the Bible is speaking to us. Um, one other quick example is John chapter 4. There's a woman who's there. She's at a well where Jesus is at. And she shows up. She's by herself because it's noon. And she has to show up at a time in the day when none of the other women show up because she's been ostracized by the community. She's not loved. She's not cared for. She's been sort of like stiff-armed by the entire, uh, by the entire city that she lives in. But Jesus is there, and she gets into this conversation with Jesus, and Jesus is saying, hey, you know what, life's a little bit more, life is about more than just water. And uh, she's like, well, it sounds like you got water I don't have. I'd love to have this water. And Jesus says, go call your husband. And she goes, um, I don't have a husband. <laughs> Jesus says, you know what, you're right. Um, you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. Um, and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And she goes, well, clearly you're a prophet. <laughs> and they begin to talk more. Um, and Jesus begins to share more of who he is. And then Jesus' disciples kind of burst in on the scene and sort of disrupt everything. And you don't really get to hear the end of the conversation with Jesus and the woman, but she goes back to the city. And when she gets back to the city, she's like, oh my God, oh, you, you guys, you got to come, you got to come, you got to come, you got to meet this guy. He, he, you got to, you got to meet him. You got to, he, he, oh my goodness, everything is different. Everything has changed. You know what she says about him? Don't remember this story? You probably, you might not. She says, come see a guy who told me all that I ever did. How many of your friends are going to go with you to meet someone who just knew all of your deepest, darkest secrets. <laughs> no, 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 come on, come on, come on. He told me everything I ever did, come on. And they're like, and I can imagine, some of you heard me do this before, but I can imagine um, them saying to her, hey, we've been telling you all that you ever did for years. And I, again, I can imagine her response being, you know, yeah, when you told me all that I ever did, you did it to shame me. But he told me all I ever did to set me free. This is Jesus' response to all of us. He doesn't bring up our sin to make us feel awful. He brings up our sin to set us free. And so whether your sin is in the area of your sexuality or your relationship life or your finances or your work situation, it's the same Jesus. And he puts his finger on the thing that stands between you and God, that keeps you from experiencing the fullness of God's presence in your life. It's that stuff that blocks our ability to receive God's love. And so he puts his finger on it to set us free. And so friends, if that Jesus has spoken to you today and reminded you that that's how he feels about you, that's the Holy Spirit who has been poured into your heart, bringing God's love. So you can know for sure that God's love of you in the present, even right now, 
is a guarantee. It's a guarantee of your hope in his future. I almost want to close there, but there's one last group of people in our church. Um, there's one last group of people who are wired differently from the things they know and the things they experience. And uh, so we need to reach to them. And, and th- th- these are, um, just to put it in the, how do I know God loves me? Not just by things you know, not just by things you experience, but third, by things that you do. By things that you do. And so there are still others who see God's love poured into your hearts because of the evidence that you see in your life. You do things that you didn't used to do because of God. You say things you didn't used to say because of God. You're patient with people in ways that you weren't patient before because of God. You care about things. You are understanding of things. You are willing to serve people in ways because of God that you didn't used to before. And so your life is changing. You're growing. And you see, the Bible calls this fruit in some ways, right? We're like a plant planted into Jesus and fruit is born. And you know that you have the love of God because you see yourself sharing God's presence and his power with others. You see that you're doing things that are empowered by him. Now, two questions on this one. Do you see yourself growing perfectly? Okay, all of us would say no to that. So, but do you see yourself growing at all? In the midst of your struggles, maybe on a scale of one to a hundred, you're at four. But were you at three, six months ago? Right? Sometimes the power of God is manifest and the love of God is demonstrated in our lives because we go from four to seven (laughs) on a scale of one to a hundred, right? Sometimes we go from seven to like 30. I don't know, like over time we grow, but, but that's, do you see yourself growing at all? Because that transformation, our growth, that is the love of God. All of our obedience shows that God has loved us and filled us with his spirit because it's his power and it's his strength that cause us to move forward. And so, again, God's love in the present guarantees your hope in his future. And the outcome of all of this, what all of this does, is it gives us confidence with God. It gives us confidence with God. And this is actually what we're going to start talking about next Sunday. So it's the next section of Romans. So the next series we're going to do is called Confidence with God. It's going to start next week. It's a three-week series. Um, And in that, we're going to see that hope um, and experience of God's love leads us to have complete confidence in who he is and what he's done for us. And so, but now, the call for us, the call for us is to receive, is to see God's love, to receive God's love, and to live in his love. I mean, that's the call for us. And whether it's through things that you know, or things that you experience, or things that you do, walk in the love of God. And if you don't have this love, I would encourage you to trust Jesus. Put your faith in him. Follow him, confess your sins, ask him to forgive you, and he will pour his love into you today. Let's pray together.
Father, thank you for giving us this assurance of hope. Thank you for loving us and then sharing your love with us. I pray, Jesus, that for every person here, you would, you would remind them now of your love and you would show them how you have loved them and how you love them so that they would have confidence in their hope in you. And Jesus, draw near to yourself those who are far away. Help them to experience again your love. We pray this in your name. Amen.